class, so if you'll turn over to Romans 8 and then get to verse 31, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter when you get that. Been a very, very rainy, wet week, and that's expected for southern Louisiana, nothing different about that. Uh, I told you last week that come Friday you can expect rain. And while we had it, we had some great water. And the thing of it is, it's so nice and comfortable up in the cab of the truck. Everything is just comfortable in there. It's warm, it's cool, it's whatever you want it to be. It's comfortable, no matter how terrible it is outside. Now, aren't vehicles an amazing invention? When you can sit through a storm, or they're just blowing and raining, it sits so comfortable and dry, it's... Uh, Things that, that men have invented in the, um, the comforts and luxuries that we have, it's amazing. It really is. Well, let's start reading with verse 31. This is Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Great question. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? This is our verse for today coming up. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Those two verses are for today, but let's read the rest of the chapter. Verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this gold mine of information, though it comes to us in questions. The question is always answered by, our God is greater than anything. There's no condemnation to them in Christ. Who can charge anything to God's elect? It's he that justifieth. What wonderful, wonderful answers to questions. And today we have a scripture given in the Old Testament. And we ask you to just teach us. Teach us this morning about our Lord Jesus Christ and his great redemption to sinners. We pray in his name. Amen. So we've just gone through a whole lot of uh, things that are going to be tough on God's people. Where he said uh, tribulation, we went through that last Sunday, seven things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword. And then our verse today says, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Why would anyone want to be called a Christian? Do you know that Christians have been hated from day one? Before the Lord saved Paul, he hated Christians with a passion, with a vengeance. Look at Acts 2, 22, 4. Acts 22, 4. Little Paul's testimony. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. That's something. That was Paul's outlook to Christians. And then stay in Acts, but look at 26. Acts 26, verses 10 and 11. He's got to give his testimony again. He always starts out how he hated Christ. Verse 10, which thing I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And he would take off from Israel and go even to Damascus to chase down some Christians. Now, why was that? Because these Christians were worshiping a man. A man who quietly suffered the ravages of men and was crucified on a cross. This same man was raised from the dead on the third day, but only a few knew it, and only a few believed it. The rest, like Paul, said it was a lie, because that's impossible, and anyone who believed it should go to prison or be put to death. But we are studying the writings of Paul 
redeemed. Not religious, redeemed. And in Romans 8.35, let's see, that's the verse just before the one we have today. I've got to get back there myself. Romans 8.35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He lists a whole lot of nice things that a Christian can expect in their life. Now, the last one being put to death for Christ. That's why we said, why would anyone want to be a Christian? Well, it does have its advantages. Look at 1 John 1.3. 1 John 1.3, back of the Bible. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's an advantage? Well, look who you hang out with. God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love someone, you want the best for them, and certainly obtaining eternal life, forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's family, and fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, a new sinless eternal body to go along with our redeemed soul. These are all reasons enough to invite them to become Christians even though they will suffer for it here on earth. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12 It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution? No, don't say that. It says, shall suffer persecution. Well, how long has this thing been going on? Well, it's back past David who wrote Psalm 44, 22. And that's our verse today being quoted. So let's turn over to the Psalms and see the verse that's quoted in our lesson today. It's Psalm 44, 22. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So that's the scripture that Paul was quoting here. Now he says, as it is written. That's just to encourage you. You're not the first one. God's people have been hated always just because of their association with him. So God saw fit to record the hatred of the world toward his people down through the ages for our comfort and hope. Look at Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, 4. Here's the idea about things being written. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now our verse also says, for thy sake. 
Now, God's people suffer for his sake. The rest of mankind suffer for their sins. God's people have a time limit on their sufferings, at the most a lifetime. Unbelievers will suffer forever, throughout eternity, for the same sins that believers have received forgiveness for. I want you to remember that. They don't suffer in eternity because they're bigger sinners than you and I. No, they suffer for the very same sins that the Lord Jesus Christ paid for on our behalf. For thy sake. It was for God's sake that the Jews were hated and persecuted by other nations because according to the commandment of God they separated themselves from them and all their worship. Now when you stand aloof from somebody, when you won't have anything to do with somebody's organization or the way they worship, what happens? Well, they hate you. They think you're going to mess them up or that you're weird. These Jews could not have religious fellowship with them, and on that account they were regarded as enemies to the rest of mankind. And in like manner when Christianity appeared and put down as false every other religion on earth, Christians were accused of hating all mankind. And people today are going to accuse you of being narrow-minded, stiff-necked, fanatic, by saying that God doesn't love everybody. Well, let me tell you, he doesn't love everybody. Christians, in the same way, are still hated by the world because they profess that salvation is only through the blood of Christ. Now, here's what the Bible teaches about people. Turn to John 3.18. John 3.18 The things that we preach to you about and the truths that we hold up are not our idea. These are things written in God's word. Look at John 3.18 He that believeth on him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Boy, that is real dogmatic because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God that puts every person on the face of this earth who is not a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ right on death's row. Execution be just awaiting, condemned already, tried and found guilty. The jury has voted 100% guilty, death. That's mankind. And then look at Acts 4.12. In Acts 4.12, another dogmatic scripture, another dogmatic statement, a very true statement. This is what separates the men from the boys, separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of this earth. No matter how powerful they are, how many members they have, how ancient they are, what kind of writings they have, what kind of miraculous books they so-called might have, this is it. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What's that name? The Lord Jesus Christ. As this dogmatically implies that all who do not hold that doctrine 
iron air and ignorance and under condemnation it excites in the strongest manner the hatred of the world now you see you can't go to these arab nations and to nations in africa and anywhere else with a peace treaty in hand and say now listen everything going to be fine if, if, if we just blend in all these religions and everybody believes no they don't know they're not going to believe the same thing and yet the scriptures say you've got to believe the bible way or you're condemned already and this belief by christians is not just something in their mind or something that they're taught by man god has seen fit to provide his people with a book called god's word the doctrine is set down there for instance just exactly like john 14 6 look at john 14 6 here's your doctrine this is christianity in a nutshell you don't have to know anything else it says i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me that's christianity jesus christ is the way he's eternal life and everything he says is truth and his word is truth his name is called the word of god in john 1 and also over in revelation 20 19. Now, this is what separates the men from the boys god's people believe it it's money in a bank for them god's holy spirit has sealed his truth into their heart experience has brought them to the feet of the son of god asking for mercy where they got to know him personally it's the only place you get to know the lord you don't get to know him through just reading coming to church being baptized any of the things that the church holds out for you as saving elements uh-uh you get to know the lord jesus christ down at his feet the only place so what is written and what they know by experience gives substance and evidence to things not seen by the world look at hebrews 11 1. when god gives a person faith they believe in things not seen the world can't see them so they don't believe but god's people own it as substance and evidence hebrews 11 1. now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen you're not going to produce anything tangible except your life people can see christ in your life if they can't see christ in your life well it's probably your fault and it could be the blindness of their hearts and minds it can work both ways turn to first peter 1 8 first peter 1 8 It says, whom having not seen, you love. Did you ever go to the marriage altar with somebody you didn't see? Uh-uh. No, this is what makes Christianity and faith so much different. This person that you can't see that you love, you love more than your husband or wife. The Holy Spirit makes the Lord Jesus Christ so real to a heart as their substitute Savior that from then on he is number one and always will be i want you to remember that whom having not seen you love and whom though now you see him not yet believing 
you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory and no one can take it away from you. As it is written now applies to all the scriptures, Old and New Testament. The great advantage that we have by being on this side of the cross with the completed word of God makes our responsibility that much greater. Look for a moment at Psalm 44, 22. We already did because it says, For thy sake we're killed all the day long. You remember that? Well, we've got to turn over there anyhow. Look at the couple verses that follow it, though. So look at Psalm 44, 22. And we're going to look at the, the, the verses that follow it. It says, Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Doesn't sound like much hope there. They're crying for the Lord to show them his face. Well, you see, they were searching, wondering, why has God hidden his face from them? But look again what is written in the New Testament when we have our verse 37 in Romans 8, 37. Victory in Christ. We're more than conquerors in him who redeemed us. Isn't that great? That's the difference this side of the cross. They were over there in darkness. And the only light they had is what the Holy Spirit gave them by revealing to their heart the Messiah to come. But how simple to be able to read it. You can read it every single day, story of how the Lord died for sinners. But now, victory in Christ, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let the clouds be dark. We know that just above them shines the Son of Righteousness with healing in his wings. All right, now let's see the next part of that verse that we have in verse 36. It says, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. What's it mean, we are killed? Well, Paul's last point in the verse before us was death by the sword. That's the end of the line in this life. Death. As to the time, he says, all day long. That is, they are constantly exposed to the greatest measure of suffering in this life, and they faced it often. Paul in another place says, I die daily. Want to see that? It's 1 Corinthians 15, 31. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I die daily. Now as to the manner, he says that we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. The enemies of the people of God look on them as helpless animals, good only to kill and get out of the way. Isn't that great? That's how people look at Christians, real Christians. I'm not talking about generalized Christians. I'm talking about people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, they will howl and complain because the state wants to execute a murderer. But for Christ and his people, there is no sympathy. And it was back then the same way, remember? Give us Barabbas. Turn the murderer loose, kill Christ. You hear the same thing today. 
and every century since Calvary has proved that the world treats God's people like beasts and criminals. The cry was for the Christians in the early church, Christians to the lions. Aren't you glad we don't have that to face? Just your testimony. I go to church, they come in, grab all of you and put you in the arena, let the lions get you. And that's great. They had to be some kind of people with a special love of Christ, and God's love was special to them too. He took them out early. Now, they've been with him a long time in the presence of God. Now, don't rule Satan out when it comes to persecuting God's people. He uses every trick in the book, and he uses people whose darkened understandings that he controls to commit the acts of violence. Peter tags him as a roaring lion. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. He says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Well, some he tears to shreds, and at other times when that doesn't work, Satan gets into the pulpit, a religious fellow. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, 14. 2 Corinthians 11, 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. One way or another, Satan is involved in making life miserable for God's people. And that is exactly why God allows such happenings, to wean his people from the world. Whenever there is a lull in outward persecution, then the false gospel appears to usher in peace. That's where you and I sit today in a religious society that is prosperous and satisfied with what is going on. Where is that church described? Well, it's in Revelation 3.17. Revelation 3.17. It says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now, that verse of Scripture there is describing the last of the seven churches, which is also describing the last of seven ages, and that's where you and I are living today, in the last church age. Rich, increase with goods, and have need of nothing. Now, Paul mentions another gospel that was taking the field by storm. Look at Galatians 1, 6, and 7. Galatians 1, 6, and 7. Now, also notice that he says it's really not another gospel. It's a perverted gospel. Verse 6, he says in chapter 1 of Galatians, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that call you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So that other gospel is a perversion. But down through the ages, the perversion has won out. 
Now the other gospel, the perverted gospel, is the gospel of our religious world today in the United States. He says it's a perverted gospel and it's the rage of the religious world today. We won't get into that today either, but we want you to give it some thought because we will get into this other gospel in the near future. Now, our next verse in Romans... Romans 8:37 says, "Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us." Now what is Paul saying? All of these things were meant to hurt us, to separate us from our Lord and Savior, but they can't. In fact, they are the source of our greatest benefits. More than conquerors is a strong expression. The Christian not only overcomes in the worst of his trials, but more than overcomes his adversaries in all those things that seem to be against him. In the world systems, sometimes you can win a conflict and yet be a loser like folks who have the satisfaction of telling their boss where to get off and then lose their job because of it. But the Christian not only wins, but gains by the assaults of the enemy. He is a gainer and a conqueror, both in the immediate fruits of his sufferings as God overrules them for his good, bringing them forth from the furnace as gold tried in a fire. Now, you see, your trials are exactly that. 1 Peter 1.7 describes your trials and the reason for them. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Did you know that you're being tried in the fire? Did you know that you have gold? All of God's people have gold and is brought out by afflictions. The trial of your faith being more precious than gold that just perishes. Though it be tried with fire, your faith is more precious than gold, but it's going to be tried in fire. And in the final issue... Of your trials, look at Romans 8.18. 8, Romans 8.18 8, says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And in 2 Corinthians 4.17, should polish it off. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you feel that your problems are light? Well, they are compared with eternity. They're very, very light compared with your exceeding and great weight and glory. Don't complain. We're showing you that the afflictions that you suffer are just to separate you from your love of the world. 
You are not to make this world everything to you. You just abide here. You eat, drink, sleep, and look for the Lord. You're living for him. All right, now, no matter how bad the game is going and how bad you seem to be beaten, it's how the scorekeeper keeps the score and gives the points. You see, in the case of God's saints, it's God who justifies. Remember reading that? No, make any different. God does the justifying. He never scores unfairly. And those on his team always win. And that's what I call power and exactly what he says. Look at Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. He said, I got the power. Well, fine, if he's got the power, what have we got to fear? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's power. Now, like I say, every game has a scorekeeper. And there's rules to the game. Now, in the world, the one who's aggressive, the persecutor, the pusher, the big-time scorer, they are the ones that get the scores. It's not like that in God's economy. Those who are persecuted for his sake, those who are meek for his sake, those who are righteous for his sake, those who are put down for his sake, get the score. Their score keeps building. They're winners in Christ. Not according to the world standards, huh? But what do we care what the world standards are? It's God that justifieth. Yea, rather, it's Christ that died. Boy, that's wonderful. Great news. Now, the word conquerors seems to indicate a warfare. And that is true according to 1 Timothy 6.12. Turn over there. 1 Timothy 6.12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. So there's a battle. There's a fight. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and who hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. But there's another scripture that tells you you're at war, and that's 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You didn't know that, did you? And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. You're a soldier, but you're to do your duty legally. What did the soldiers do in Iraq? They pillaged, robbed, stole, destroyed raped, everything. That was the delight of the soldiers. That's not true of the soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, endure hardness. Are you kidding? I like a church where the pastor does all the work, preaches peace and love and keeps everybody happy. 
I'm not involving my beliefs with anyone else's. They can believe like they want to, and I believe what I think is right. Well, Paul did say in verse 2 that the things that he taught to Timothy, that Timothy was to teach others. Look up there in verse 2, 2 Timothy, second chapter. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And uh, that thought of teaching others and teaching men brought on that thought about war. So therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. Now, if what you believe is worth having, it's worth telling. And if what you believe is Bible truth, then what you tell, the world will hate you. John seventeen fourteen. John seventeen fourteen. You tell it like it is, and the world's going to hate you. Simple, basic gospel truth. The Lord says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. So what does our lesson teach? You win by telling. You win by fighting. You win by getting beat. You win by just being in God's army. We are more than conquerors by ourselves? No, that's not it. Not at all. It's through him that loved us. You see the rest of that verse? Romans 8, 37. Through him that loved us. How did he love us? We'll look up at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Oh, that's love. He died for you. Yea, rather that is risen again. That's power. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Is that some kind of love? You better believe it. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Can you trust the Lord like that? Of course you can. It's very easy when the Lord opens these scriptures to your heart and teaches you, shows you the great love of God to sinners that will believe. Now, can you find anywhere in the Bible where God's love is held out to sinners who do not believe? There's not one single word of encouragement to anybody who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we have told you time and time again what believing in him is. It's falling at his feet, acknowledging him as substitute Savior, crying for mercy and waiting on him to accept you. Not for you to accept him, for him to accept you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple message this morning. Bless each heart here, each family represented. Give us wisdom and strength to walk in this world of darkness. Clear our minds. They're so terribly polluted now. There's probably not much room for anything else there but a little more pollution. The Lord have mercy upon us. Come quickly. Give us our new bodies. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.
Okay, you've got just a little over 15 minutes to get you a little coffee. There's some anniversary cake back there. Harry and Donna had an anniversary yesterday, and we've got some of their good cake back there. 